If you never knew the connection before between cookies and wargaming, you're about to find out. This is the Veteran Wargamer. This is the Veteran Wargamer. I'm your host, Jay Arnold. Welcome to episode 25. In this episode, I speak again with Dave Tubbs about our favorite nonfiction books that inspire gaming. As always, the Veteran Wargamer is brought to you by Kings Hobbies and Games and Special Artisan Service Miniatures. Once again, Tim has done it. It's out now. It's the production model of the M4, a Russian four-wheel drive vehicle that's currently in use with the Russian Special Operations Forces in Syria. Again, cutting-edge stuff. Tim's on top of it. He knows what the folks want, and he makes it happen. Check it out. KingsHobbsAndGames.com is the current URL. Uh, that's going to be changing before too long. I'll let you know when that happens. Once it does happen, never fear. You can always go to KingsHobbsAndGames.com and get redirected to the new site. So the latest stuff, Tim does it. Uh, in addition to more tactical vehicles, uh, he's also got a really neat armored limousine that's worth checking out. You know, the Gene Stealer Cult Force is back for Warhammer 40,000. That might be a neat model to pick up for all you alien hybrid guys out there. So go ahead and check that out at kingshobbiesandgames.com. That's kingshobbiesandgames.com. Up next, my discussion with Dave. And we're back. Today, I am joined by the Cajun Counselor, the Louisiana lawyer, David Tubbs, Esquire. That's me. How are you, you doing today? Doing? I am. I am doing great. I've got some, some pro, some gaming projects going. Uh, I'll be real brief. I've got the, I've got some figures I'm doing for a friend. I've been helping my son with his orcs um, to practice painting. He's painting some old. Uh, actually, it'd be fourth edition. Uh, Warhammer goblins, the plastic goblins that came in the set with the. Uh, with the High Elves, the first box set for Warhammer Fantasy Battle. I've got some of those that he's painting up just to, to practice. And I got a uh, bookcase put together here in the Nerd Bunker. And okay. and uh, started stocking the shelves, baby. And I got another one i got to put together. It's going to be, you know, getting some organization done. I like it. I like it. How about you? You got the new one. The new one's doing fine, right? Oh, the new baby, I take it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got plenty of new models, but I uh, also have a new baby. Yeah, I mean, he's great. He's uh, the easiest baby I've ever seen. Doesn't bother him, complain or anything. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Um, yeah, my, as far as, my son was like that? that. My son was like that, too, to begin with. And uh-huh. when he got about two, is you know, the terrible twos. Well, he was actually a terrible one and a half is when he started. Gotcha. Well, if... If my baby's chill level is inversely proportionate to how much he's going to freak out at two, it's going to be a pretty bad, pretty bad time, man. Uh, hey, every kid's different. Yeah. No, yeah. He, uh, I have no complaints now. My oldest one's getting a bit cranky. That's what it's like with kids. I had him up at the game shop earlier today, actually. Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. Good deal. I was going to try and tag into your what is uh, pretty impressive progress with the the fact that I have primed some models in the past three months. Excellent. So, yeah. <laughs> a 
that's about it though. Uh, recently, uh, I had a, had a thought like, wow, I'm really behind in work, man. I got to get all the stuff filed and typed out, and I got to draft these pleadings. Why am I behind in everything? It seems like three months ago I stopped doing anything, and uh, I thought about it for a second, and I was like, oh yeah. I kind of did, didn't I? <laughs> Much less painting models, man. So, but um, he's getting to the point where um, he's sleeping through the night, so I'll be able to pull a few long nights and just paint some stuff for fun. That's you know? cool. That's It'll that's cool. Um, now yeah. we've got some issues. We have a controversy. Right? There's a little bit of controversy, but real quick, um, yeah. I wanted to talk about your new Twitter handle, and yes. I'm very there's proud some, of it. There's some issues with it, uh, for some reason. Okay. Um, you can yeah. you can follow Duke Tubular, that's David's alter ego. At it's at former. At. S- Let me go <laughs> this is utterly ridiculous. Take, I'll, it'll be in the show notes. Suppress it'll be in the show notes. Don't worry, folks. But suppress this. Um, I didn't really give a lot of thought to this Twitter <laughs> handle. I did well. I did, but not the execution. Like the big idea, I was I was very intent on, but the execution leaves somewhat to be desired. Um, whereas Jay might be the veteran war gamer, I um, have decided to. This is actually a good time to introduce my um my podcast, the former soldier fight player, and you can hit me up at at former soldier fight player. But it turns out Twitter doesn't allow. Twitter handles to be that long, so I just kind of shortened it. And my first thought was to just take out the vowels, but that's still too long, so I took out a few consonants. So now my Twitter handle is a string of just random consonants. But I'll try and get it out there. It is at f r m r s l d r f g t p l y r. So you can hit me up and see my new fake podcast and my commentary on. Everything rigid structure lighter than air air travel, which apparently is becoming a new interest of mine. I hey, you know I I dig it. <laughs> you know, th- the thing is, there are some really. You mentioned World War One uh, dirigibles and lighter than air aircraft. There were some really cool lighter than air aircraft that were. Uh, put out for Wings of Glory for the World War One uh, aircraft combat game, and they are cool, cool looking models. Uh-huh. And yeah, they're still available. Well, they're out there. Uh-huh. I don't know if they're still making them or not because they changed the game from Wings of Glory to Wings of or from Wings of War to Wings of Glory. So uh, some of the uh-huh. models got ported over and some didn't. But it's it's worth looking into. But but to the to the controversy, we have to hit the controversy real quick. And yes, about yes. two weeks ago, actually no, it was just over a week ago now. Uh, I had tweeted out a picture of a, and the British probably have some annoying term for it. I'm just gonna call it a canister. Of they call it probably call it a budgel or something like that. Of a t- no, that's the under that's that's what they call the subway. A uh, I don't know. I a still cookie like tube. A, a, well, a they'd cookie call tube. they'd call it a biscuit tube. But a anyway, biscuit. a biscuit cylinder of yeah, hobnobs, yeah. which are yeah. the the favorite confection of one Mike Hobbs, 
and he talks about them on the yeah. Meeple's Adventures podcast. And I thought, hey, I, mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and pick some of these up and see how they are. And I tweeted about them, saying that they were nice, not thrilling, okay. but nice. Not well, no, nice, comma not yeah. thrilling was your tweet. Yeah. Okay. So the statement is they're nice. So that sounds like a no, no, no. They are nice. They're good, they're a tasty. Know. They're a tasty little comestible. I like them. Okay. I I genuinely like them. They're not the greatest little cookie I've ever had, I'm looking by any means. And we'll get into this, and we're going to have our yeah. own controversy here in a second. Yeah, we will. Well, I'm look, if I may, I'm looking at a picture of these things. Are these, I've had a, quote, digestive mm-hmm. biscuit, end quote, before, and they're, they're pretty horrible. Are these, no, a, are I these think a digestive is a, is a completely different thing. I'm not, I'm not an expert on British food. I, I have indulged in Marmite before and thought it was terrible uh, it, it, because it's yeah, truly it awful um, you know I, I uh, like to think I'm a little bit more wor- worldly than your average American male in his early to mid 40s but yeah. I thought that they were pretty tasty you know my kids thought they were good uh, my brother thought they were good my sister-in-law you know we, we all thought yeah these are okay well those mm-hmm. villains at the Meeple's Adventures podcast started yeah. they started it on me on they Twitter and then and then okay. they started eating their own when they went back and forth on whether or not to dunk these these cookies into their tea what's the, well what's apparently someone put up dunk? a Twitter I, I think it was Mike Whitaker put up a Twitter poll asking the age old question to dunk yeah. or not to dunk and I would think wouldn't want little snippets of rolled I'm looking at the main ingredients: rolled oats and jumbo oats. You wouldn't want little crumbs of oats in your tea, but that's just me. Well, here's the deal. Apparently, according to now, on their last episode on the Meeple's and Miniatures podcast, they brought this up, and that's a whole other issue altogether. But there was a Twitter poll, and it's like 55% were pro dunk, and 45% were anti dunk. Okay. Now I'm a dunker from way back. I think most okay. Americans are dunkers from way back, you know. Yeah, well, for oh, nice cough. for you know, for example, you know, the good folks at Nabisco call Oreo milk's favorite cookie. You know, because you can you can dunk okay. those dudes yeah. all day in in your milk and you're good to go, right? We have what you would call a dunking culture. Sure. Sure, absolutely. I mean, for crying out loud, there is a major, <laughs> there is a major donut chain predicated on dunking of delightful comestibles in hot liquids. Of course I'm talking yep. about Dunkin' Donuts. Yep. It's in the name, folks, okay? Well, yep. they're going back and forth about the dunk or not dunk. I don't really care that much because it's not like I'm going to be buying British cookies all the time anyway, okay? But I'm listening to the podcast, and one of them says that I referred to the Hobnobs as okay. I did not say they were okay. I said that they were nice. Yep. Not thrilling, but nice. And here's the <clears throat> and here's the deal. Like I said earlier, I did enjoy them. I like them. Are they going to be my go-to for cookies in the future that I buy at the store? No, of course not. Because, you know, it's it's like a, you know, every once in a while kind of thing. So, I I, I just need to put this out there. They're good. Yeah. They're not great. Okay? And well, it's not, send I'm send sorry? your hate tweets to at Veteran Wargamer. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> send your well, send your email send your 
send your tweets of, of support to at former soldier fight player. It doesn't matter. They won't be able to find it anyway, bro. So they can send it all they want. Um, but but here's the deal, okay? Yeah. I think here's the deal. I think that the folks over in U- in the UK think these mm. are all that in a bag of chips, or as they would say, all that in a bag of crisps. Yeah. Because they haven't had the higher levels of cookie that we have enjoyed here well, in the United I'd, States. It sounds like a cookie controversy, Jay. It does indeed. And here's the deal. <clears throat> What's up? I think you and I can both agree, having grown up in this culture, a cookie-eating culture, I mean, for crying out loud, one of our childhood heroes subsists solely on cookies. I am, of course, talking about the Cookie Monster. True. True. And... I'm a big <laughs> What's that? Okay. I'm a big fan of the cookie well, monster. You know, C is for cookie. That's good enough for me. Yeah. And they have not had, they have not been privy to the enjoyment of Girl Scout cookies in particular. Yeah. Now, we talked a little bit before we started recording. There's going to be our own controversy here. Yeah. In my expert opinion, the best of the best of the Girl Scout cookies is the Samoa also known as the Caramel Delight. And and here's the thing. depends on where you are in the country. Because of the licensing laws, with the names in the actual bakery that the cookies come from. Yeah. So if you're in one part of the country, you're getting Samoas all day. If you're in another part mm-hmm. of the country, you're getting, getting Caramel Delights. But they are effectively the same cookie. Dude... I'm sorry. I just went to the Girl Scout cookie website. Did you know they made all these new cookies? Hold on. Let me... Breaking news, folks. Girl Scouts have released new cookies. <laughs> I hate to, to pull us off track of that riveting conversation about the naming rights to Samoas. But Girl Scout s'more cookies. What? Yeah. That's Get what I'm out saying, of town. Man. Yeah. Oh, man. Wait, two versions of Girl Scout. Oh, man. Where are the Girl Scouts at, man? When do they what do this now? When do they sell these cookies? It's like a certain time of the year, right? Yeah, it's a spring thing. Because the because oh, the Boy Scouts do popcorn in the fall. Okay. And uh, being a Cub Scout pack leader, I'm I'm acutely aware of popcorn sales because we're going to be starting up popcorn sales in my neck of the woods here yeah. uh, at the end of this week. Gotcha. So, dude, I'm gonna hit these s'mores up. Those Brits don't know what they're missing. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Okay, Girl Scout gotcha. s'mores cookies. Oh man, those look great. Yeah, they do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get. Okay, a if you scroll down, but, if you scroll down, you can yeah. see. You said you identify by color, the the purple yeah. package. They are showing caramel, Everybody. caramel delights slash yeah. Samoas. Yeah, the most disgusting. No, cookies. oh man, how can you? It was, it's got to be a, it's it got to be a coconut thing. You don't like coconut, huh? No, I, I absolutely detest coconut. That's that's, that's what, exactly it is. what it is. And there's no, there's no I, accounting for taste. There's no accounting for that. Guess and not. but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Yeah. Everybody likes thin mints. Yeah, everybody does. Everybody likes thin mints. I would, um, I would rather eat an English breakfast with blood sausage <laughs> than have a thin of life. <laughs> and that's some nasty stuff. Um, <laughs> have you seen an English breakfast? It's it's, it's disgusting, man. Um, yeah. Pork and beans, really, for breakfast. These people ruled the world. I, I don't understand it. Um, anyway, but no, but the best is are the peanut butter patties slash tagalongs. 
peanut butter, chocolate with a nice, like, little wafer crust, wafer, like, patty. I don't know what you call that. Yeah, the, the peanut butter patty slash tagalong's good. Um, the lemonades are nice. That's a shortbread cookie with a with a lemony icing. Those are nice. Yeah. Those are those I'm are very tasty. Say, I'm a fan of the Savannah Smiles. I don't even know if that's a cookie. It looks lemony, I guess. So very lemony. It's more like a little. It almost know. looks like a Mexican wedding cookie. But I don't know what a Mexican wedding. It, cookie is, but it looks I'll like a Savannah Smile, but without the without the lemon. Okay. Right, there you go. Now that we have sufficiently offended approximately half my listenership. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yeah, I guess you have a big audience. Yeah, I do there, have a big. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, folks, I do appreciate those of you over in the UK who who uh, download and listen, and um, the views of uh, David Tubbs Esquire do not necessarily reflect the views of the veteran war gamer Jay Arnold or anybody else in the United States. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, they're uh, yeah, they're busy fighting their dunker not to dunk fight, man. They're not they're not worried about a girl. There, there is no fight there because the, here's the secret to dunking. They're they're complaining about stuff falling in the tee and whatnot. You just gotta yeah. know the relative the relative structural merit of what you're dunking. That's all. Yeah, density to yeah integrity. We learned early that on. In like early on, I mean, yeah. there's there's not a second grader in the United States who doesn't know. You take the Oreo, you dunk yeah. it halfway, back and forth once, mm-hmm. retrieve, little twist, retrieve, mm-hmm. crunch, and it's perfectly there softened and it's delicious and wonderful. And you get a little splash of milk. Now here's yeah. the question: Do you then dunk the half-eaten cookie? Well, it's your milk, milk, so you can double dip. I mean, there's there's no double dip issue here at all. It's it's like the uh, it's like the Mexican restaurant we like to go to. It's right across the street from my barber shop. They give each person yeah. there at the table their own bowl for salsa for chips and salsa. That's 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 nice. I could use that. I like to lick the chip before I dip it. Get the salt on the tongue. You know? Well, you know, and and if you got your own if you got your own bowl, you can do that. <laughs> Because that's not even a double dip. That's yeah. that you're pre-double dipping in that case, which is yeah, not to be confused with the dunk. Yeah. So I do get a lot of salt. Oh yeah. Well, no. here's okay. This we need <laughs> yeah. to get back on topic, or we actually need to start the topic. But I'll just say this one thing: the Mexican restaurant, Maya Mexican yeah. restaurant, right across the street from my barber shop, they have little mm-hmm. bottles of Yucateca habanero sauce, and yeah. I like to doctor up my uh, salsa with the Yucateca make make it a little bit spicier and just sit back mm-hmm. and laugh when my family members forget about it and then dip their chip into my salsa <laughs> while I while I good. while I drink my Dos Equis. Yeah. But anyway, moving right along. So Yes. So Neil and Mike and Mike and Dave, I'm going to see what I can do about getting you guys some proper cookies so you can see Yeah, send them a box. Man. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm gonna send them some so they can so they can see what I'm talking about when I say that that the hobnobs are nice but not thrilling because you know when you've had thin mints when you've had the caramel delights when you've had the tagalongs you mm-hmm. you know what a superior cookie is yeah absolutely. so absolutely anyway let's let's get on to why folks are actually logging into this now that we've <laughs> burned yeah. burned twenty minutes about the cookie 
controversy and, we, yeah, and Dunkagate. <laughs> Moving right along. We are talking, of course. We are, of course, talking yep. about Top Phase with Dave. Goes to the library. Part two. Dose. Yep. Nonfiction. And... This one was rough for me, man. How's How so? I'm not generally... I don't know. You, you, everyone always runs into that guy that says he likes to read, mm-hmm. but only not. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, 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 eh, you know, I'm kind of the inverse. I'm, I'm, I don't read a lot of nonfiction. I uh, besides, I kind of read nonfiction for a living. Oh, you know I hear I mean? you. So, if I ever do pick up a book these days, oh, I'm just looking to gel out and not think. But um, I don't know. I had to. Go back to the well from a long time ago with some of this, and uh, so this is my disclaimer: no, no guarantees that a lot of what I'm about to tell you is actually what these books are about, um, <laughs> or accurately portrays what the author tried to tell us. But I will do okay. my best. Just like with all the pr- previous top phase with Dave, we each have selected our top five. Uh, we're going to talk a- just briefly about some of the rules and figures you can use to game what we're talking about. And then we're going to finish up with some honorable mentions. What we're talking about is, of course, nonfiction, and that's a pretty wide, that's a pretty wide description for some of the books I chose. Because yeah, to one degree or another, they're history books, but one of my honorable mentions is an oral history, and we'll we'll talk about when we get to it. Let's go ahead and get started with my number five. And that okay. is The Face of Battle by John Keegan. The Face of Battle is interesting in that it doesn't focus on one battle or one war. It takes a look at three different battles in British history. Uh, those battles being Agincourt, Waterloo, and the Battle of the Somme. So you've got three very different wars in three very different battles. And it takes the approach of trying to discover what the experience of battle is for those who fought it and the differences and similarities between those three battles and the soldiers who fought in them. And it's really it's really worth reading. I've read it actually I've read it once and I've listened to it on audiobook twice. Um, Highly, highly recommend it. Who wrote it? Uh, John Keegan is his name. John Keegan. K-E-E G-A-N. It'll be in the show notes, as always. Uh, okay. I did mention it briefly in the episode that I most recently had with Henry Hyde. And mm-hmm. Keegan was an interesting guy. He was, a, of course, a military historian and taught mm-hmm. at the uh, British Military Academy at Sandhurst and recognized that even though he knew a lot about battle as far as you know what he could glean from from texts and artifacts and going out on staff rides or battlefield walks however whatever term you want to use he mm-hmm. he himself had never experienced battle so and at the same time he recognized that some of the people that he taught were going to or had already experienced battle for themselves so that put him in a un- unique uh, position now, I'm going to go ahead and, for this particular book, look at all three battles. And, and I, I think you know anyone who's listened to this podcast for more than two episodes knows that I'm going to say Commands and Colors. 
There's a medieval version coming out soon that you can use for Agincourt. There's the Napoleonic version, of course, that you can use for Waterloo. And then the Great War from Plastic Soldier Company that you can use for uh, your Somme. Or segments of the Somme. Because the Somme is a, you know, took, you know, was over the course of a couple months. Mm -hmm. uh, for figures, I'm a big fan of 6 mil, as we all know. So, of course, it means Bacchus uh, for, well, actually for all three. Um, okay. And you could either use the, the board that comes with it, or you can make your own mat and go to town. You could even go up to 15 or 28 if you wanted to. I probably wouldn't go bigger. You know, to get the battle effect, I probably wouldn't go mm -hmm. bigger than 10 mil for your figures. Yeah. Okay, quick question yeah. for you. Agincourt is English on the hill with the longbowmen and all the French Genevieve longbowmen, I mean, crossbowmen getting murdered. Is that the right battle? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was it was I mean, a slaughter fest. It happened a number of times. <clears throat> so what are the similarities between that battle and the Somme, exactly, Oh, that this guy has? Well, just the just the experience of being a soldier. Oh, just like the general crappiness of being a guy in the middle yeah. of it. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. and there are, you know, there's always going to be similarities. There's always going to yeah. be differences, and he looks at those. And and what's interesting, he, he tries to take a look not just from the perspective of the generals, but yeah. also from the perspective of the individual private soldier. You know, the the poor bloody infantry, as it's called. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I have quickly grown to prefer that perspective as opposed to... You know, great men leading great charges. Right. You know, cool. I'm I'm gonna pick that up. Yeah, now. it's it's I'm, definitely it's worth way. picking up. Uh, I I highly recommend it for anybody who wants to understand uh, military history on a, on a more visceral level. Yeah. So, that brings us to your number five. My number five. Boom boom. Um, my number five. Um, is the French Foreign Legion. Um, subtitled. A complete history. That's a that's a pretty ballsy claim to be a complete history of anything. But this guy, um, this guy, his name is Duck. Oh, I'm sorry. A complete history of the legendary fighting force. This is pretty much what it says it is. It's a exhaustive, exhaustive history of the French Foreign Legion. And if anyone took the time to listen to the entirety of those other episodes that I was on, they'll know I kind of have this weird love affair with the French mm -hmm. Foreign Legion. Um, this was one of, reading this book was one of my efforts to, you know, placate that. And it's, to be fair, it's very dry. It's not very fun to read, but it is exhaustive. <laughs> and, um, it begins with the foundation in Paris by Napoleon III and just marches on all the way up until Algeria and Vietnam and everything in between. And I'd say the majority of the book kind of details like the romantic period, mm -hmm. you know, of like the expat rastabout that flees crime or some love tryst and ends up fighting in the desert for adventure's sake. But um, that's where the majority of it of the book lies and it's it's written by a professional historian you can tell he has a thesis he has a, a purpose in writing it and he's trying to explain he's trying to argue to the reader why this group of people worked at all because you would have 
Prussians over here, and you would have Alsatians, yep. is that it? Uh, and they would put them in a unit together, and normally those people would not get along very well, but somehow, through the author argues, incredible discipline, <laughs> Incre well, incredibly harsh discipline, and a general lack of care for the general soldier, uh, and mutual suffering that they kind of, well, and extreme alcoholism, they kind of banded together and formed a a mm -hmm. unique esprit de corps that um, is kind of referenced in their motto today, which is the Legion is their country. You know, I could go on for a long time with this, but um, one of the more unique parts of the book actually is about the interwar period and how the Legion actually created um, through propaganda and just movies and, and this type of, of media actually created the modern conception of that romantic runaway that didn't really exist in history but only kind of kind of sort of kind of sort of did but not really uh, elements of it was there were, were there but they were kind of gathered together in a modern context and given to the world in order to yeah. glamorize the French war it's great but it's hard to read but there is one part in that okay. book that I have to talk about it's hard to read, but there is one section, and it reminded me of something that made me just giggle for, for about 20 minutes. Apparently, in the 1850s or 1870s, whatever time period, the French Foreign Legion carried this black leather ammunition box. And it was part of their kit, and it had to be shined so that you could see yeah. yourself in the leather, right? There's a, a snippet from a first-hand account from a French Foreign Legionnaire. Apparently, these diaries were popular at the time, right. much like I guess SEAL diaries are popular now. Back then, French Foreign Legion diaries were popular. And it's from this guy who kind of deserted. He didn't kind of desert. He did desert. And uh, he's talking about how every day he had to go back to the barracks and shine his ammunition box and how he hated doing it. So he had, to, he had a great idea. He was going to paint it black with some kind of glossy paint. So he painted it black with glossy paint, and he presented it at the next inspection. And uh, I, I, I tried to find the quote, but I could not because it's a huge book. But um, it goes along the line, something like this. Um, and then all of the corporals and sergeants from all of the barracks came and see what horror, what sin Earth had created as paint, black paint on an ammunition box. And period, end quote. And it made me laugh because I remember when I was stationed in Germany, I had a buddy named Calson. I guess he's a buddy. He's a guy in my unit. Specialist Calson. And he got the idea. He was private Calson at the time. He got the idea <clears throat> that he was tired of shining boots. But what else do you put on boots that's shiny? Well, at least those black boots. As you put it on the heel of your, like the. Talking about edge dressing? Edge dressing, exactly. That's what it was. Calson, one night, doused his entire boots with edge dressing to make them shiny. <laughs> And then came a formation with these boots that looked like the surface of Mars, but black. <laughs> you know what I mean? All crackled and whatnot. Oh yeah, cracked it, cracked to hell. And like it was the funniest thing in the world. And um, the the reaction from every sergeant in the unit matched that reaction from every sergeant in that French Foreign Legion's unit. They had to come see what some dumbass of uh, what some private had done to his boots by just douse him in edge dressing. And it made me laugh for about five five good minutes. 
wonder what Kelsey's doing now. <laughs> but I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to take up that much time with that. That's okay. That's okay. Not a problem. So. Oh, but as far as figures, we talked about them last time. You're yeah. going to hear me saying it a lot uh, to save time so that I can tell more bad stories. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that when I talked about Bo Jest. That's all right. In the movie. In the mo- yeah, in the movie episode. Yes. In the show notes. Which brings us to your number four. Oh, my number four. You're right. I'll, I'll be quick with this one. Uh, this is a book I read a long time ago. It satisfied an interest of mine at the time, at least. <clears throat> More so of an interest these days, too. It's called The Templars uh, by Pierce Paul Reed. And this one is not written by a historian, but just a kind of an author who wrote, who writes on various topics like John Krakauer. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy who wrote the Everest. Right, right. Um, it's good. It's a good book. It's it's hard to find good historical writing about the Templars, period. Between Dan Brown, the Masons, and the Holy Holy Blood, Holy Grail guy, right. there's so much out there that wants to talk about a bunch of weird stuff that you can't get just good history, you know what I mean? Oh, I hear you. And especially about these guys. And... um this book, you know, just in detail, because you, you can't understand the Templars without a basic understanding of the establishment of the uh, Crusader kingdoms. It talks about the lead-up to the First Crusade, and it gets through it pretty quick, the taking of Jerusalem, and then the establishment of the Order. It then just goes off on there, and it talks about everything up until their eventual um, excommunication and, um, you know, trials and murder and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's good. I, I highly, highly suggest it. Which brings us to my number four. And my number four I first encountered in AIT. And okay. <clears throat> so in the in the in the US Army, when you go through basic, everyone goes through the same basic training. And then once you're done with that, you go to AIT or advanced individual training, which is where you get a basic understanding of your job that you signed up to do in the army. So mm-hmm. when I first enlisted, I was a 37 Foxtrot psychological operations specialist. And in AIT, then we had kind of an intelligence and analysis aspect to our jobs. I don't know what the, I don't know what 37 Foxes do now, but back then we we did. And to the point where they wanted us to know what the Soviet army looked like and how to recognize vehicles and how to recognize different unit levels based on the vehicles that were on hand and that sort of thing. So part of the resources that we had was a series of field manuals that were called the Soviet army and it's three books. Jay. Yeah. Can I interrupt you for a second to ask your question? Yeah. You were in AIT when the Soviet Union existed. I was in AIT in 1993, and they had not updated the courseware for the for the course yet. Ah, so you you squeaked by. Okay, I'm I sorry. I squeaked by. That's okay. No, it's all right. I, it dawned on me. Wait a minute. Oh, I know. Wait a. Yeah, there was Jake. Really old. <laughs> no, there was there. I am really old, but there's there was no longer a Soviet army, but okay the Russian Federation still had the same equipment, the same organization. Yeah. The Ukrainian army had the same organization, the same equipment. The Belarusian army had the same organization, the same equipment. Mm-hmm. 
and on and on and on and on. So yeah, yeah, got it. Anyhow, it's a yeah, it's a three book series. It's mm-hmm. the series starts uh, with FM one hundred two one, the operations and tactics. And then it mm-hmm. goes on to one hundred two two, specialized warfare and rear area support, and it bringing up the rear is one hundred two three, troops organization and equipment. Now, hmm. the main one that you're looking at is going to be your 100-2-3. And you hmm. can... It's like one-stop shopping for all of your information that you could possibly want on small arms, crew-served weapons, all of your... Uh, all of your vehicles, armored vehicles, aircraft, the whole Megillah. And... Right. I mean, it, it even gets down to the point where, in when it's talking about the different different units and unit types, you know, it'll tell you how many different radio sets of a particular type that unit has, how many how many rifles, how many pistols, how many RPGs, how many everything. And when I when I leaf through, well not leaf because I don't have hard copies, but when I look at the PDFs that you can get just about anywhere just by Googling, uh, it always puts me in the mind of playing some type of micro-armor what if, you know, mid to late 80s, you know, Red Storm Rising, Team Yankee type type thing. So... Again, I already talked about Red Storm Rising and Team Yankee in our fiction episode, so the the same applies there. You know, any any modern micro armor game, and using either the you know six or three mil stuff, you know, either from uh, GHQ, PFC, CNC, Pico Armor, any of those. So there's a little bit of nostalgia there for me personally. You know, yeah, totally. having you know back in the midst of time actually having taken a written test where I had to identify you know what type of <laughs> what type of unit was present if they had this particular radar set you know so yeah back back in the day man I don't know what they do now but they did that then uh, I, I, I did not learn about the Soviet Army in AIT I'll say that um, well you're you're new so yeah <laughs> Well, no, you still had black boots, so you're not that new. Yeah. Although they changed over when yeah. I was in. So I can still, I still can still lord it over people, younger guys, that I had to change right. boots. But for a portion of my time, I did yeah. not. Um, yeah, just just to uh, just to de- just to detour very slightly, very quickly. Any anybody who says that they miss shining boots. Yes. <laughs> is a total and complete liar. They, there is, yeah. I hated every second of polishing boots. And the worst, the worst yep. of the worst was during jump school. Because we had to show up first formation with impeccably shined boots in jump school. And then you knew they were just going to get thrashed. And you'd have to do yeah. it all over again the next night. And now, luckily... Luckily, I was in Charlie Company, not Delta Company. Delta Company had, like, the reputation for being the worst of the worst when it came to polished boots. And you could get by with just a really good brush shine. 
in Charlotte, yeah, but um, in Delta Company, apparently, you had to have like a legit spit shine on your boots. And but anyway, this is not, yeah, that was definitely a part of the culture. I hated too because not not least of which uh, the re- not huh, forgive me. Uh, no small reason for that being. I was really bad at it. Man. <laughs> I could not. I don't know how I could not develop that skill. I tried. I really did, but I had some ugly boots, dude. I I, really I developed the skills. And I didn't like doing it, but I did develop the skills, and I did appreciate being able to. You know, I could put a halfway decent brush shine in about ten minutes. Yeah. And then it got to the point where I could put a an okay spit shine on in about 30 minutes. I, I could spend hours, man, and I would just be rubbing polish into the leather. You know what I was good at, though? I was damn good at it. I could buff a floor, man. <laughs> I could buff a floor like a pro. Um, in another life, maybe that maybe was my so. calling. You know? And there's, floor buffers, and there's nothing wrong man. with that. Like a wizard, man. I could just guide it. <laughs> yeah, because... Because oh. just the just the right amount of pressure, either up yeah. up on the handle or down on the handle, you know, taking advantage of the torque of the of the, of the machine to get to go left or right, man. But that first time buffing is always a disaster. Anyway, anyway, oh, yeah. yes, anyway, back yeah. to the this less veteran, more war gamer. I hear the <laughs> I hear okay. I hear our listeners screaming, which brings us. Brings us to my number three. Yes. Now, Cornelius Ryan is rightfully recognized as one of the premier World War II historian authors. And and it's not just... It's just not the stories he tells, but it's the way that he tells them. He actually went in the 50s and 60s and interviewed a number of the participants in order to get the stories on the page. Uh, mm. Most folks are going to recognize the longest day, his story about the D-Day invasion. Many mm. folks are going to many folks are going to recognize a bridge too far about Operation Market Garden, both of which were turned into outstanding movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, a bridge too far is not probably it definitely is my favorite World War II movie. Some folks yeah. might not recognize that he did a book about the Eastern Front, and it's called The Last Battle, and it's exactly okay. that. It, it talks about the last couple months of World War II on the Eastern Front. It's pretty harrowing in points. I, I, don't, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't recognize that the Eastern Front was a, a pretty nasty place to fight. It was a pretty nasty mm-hmm. place to try to survive if you were civilian no matter your nationality and he brings that he brings that out on the page and when whenever you're talking about the eastern front there there might be there might be a tendency to try to sympathize with mm-hmm. with the germans a little bit more than you would the russians yep. and i can see i can see that um, I, I don't think anybody that was actually on the front doing the fighting had much sympathy for anybody yeah. on the Eastern Front. And it was just a it's a harsh reality, and he kind of brings it home to the reader. And it, it's a, just a heart-wrenching tale all yeah. the way around. 
and it, it really he, he goes into detail about some of the ways that the Germans were able to hold off just hordes of Soviet forces mm. and really really perfected you know perfected defending defending against basically combined arms assaults because the mm. by the end of the war the Soviets were using Blitzkrieg against the Germans for lack of a better term yeah uh, you know they had turned you know the the higher level operational art against the Germans you know they were basically beating the Germans at their own game and of course it, it was indeed just a matter of time once the Soviet war machine got rolling um, yeah totally but uh, yeah def, definitely worth picking up definitely worth reading or listening on on uh, audiobook yeah just just an outstanding book The Last Battle by Cornelius Ryan for rules I'm going to say Rommel uh, the new Rommel rules for from Sam Mustafa uh, I'm going to have Sam on in the near future and uh and I'd go Pico Armor with these rules. Uh, if you're not familiar, real quick, the Rommel rules are... Uh, you take the role of a divisional commander, and your units are... Your individual units are companies, and you move your companies around, and it's not just the frontline units you have to worry about. There are ways of... There are ways that he models uh, supply and lines of communication in the rules. Uh, you are definitely using your you're definitely using your uh, resources in order to fight your battle and and a game is basically a day of fighting hmm. is is what he's looking to model and I haven't played them yet I've just started reading them I've heard nothing but good things about them and it's a it's a level of fighting that is heretofore pretty much as far as I know has been has been I don't want to say neglected or ignored but just hasn't been covered as well as it could be I think there's a game uh, there's there's a game called rapid fire which I think gets close but I think it's a brigade level game uh, where you're playing the level of a brigade uh, brigade commander so yeah Rommel Sam Mustafa Pico armor you throw four or five little tanks on a base, call it a company and and go from there. Cool. Which brings us to your number three. My number three. This is um my first foray out of like hardcore history books. And uh, you you actually went you were pretty brave with the reference book <laughs> last selection. I like that. <laughs> um I didn't realize I could have could have picked the M encyclopedia for for military. Um <laughs> I did not realize that, so I did not. Instead, I went more literary because, I, as I prefaced this in the very beginning, I had some trouble just coming up with nonfiction. Racked the brain, and I thought a couple, though. Um, George Orwell, Homage to Catalonia. Oh, mwah, I love this book. I read this book on a train in Catalonia, and it made me want to join the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, which was the American contingent that went to Spain to fight against Franco and fascism, and just take it to the man, you know. Uh, George Orwell, a communist, a, a Trotskyite, went with his labor union to Spain during the Civil War, and he joined a, um, it wasn't a Trotskyite militia, but it's one of the numerous, numerous militias that they had fighting over there, and fought. And he wrote 
a book about it called Homage to Catalonia. And it begins with Spanish Civil War is a, a hobby interest, like a, I would say a hobby interest, but we use the word hobby differently. Um, an interest of mine for a while. This fit very neatly into it. So he begins with kind of a discussion of his politics and the politics of the time, which are fascinating, and the politics of the area, which are even more fascinating. And he kind of gets into how he wants to fight and he wants to help and everything is this and that. And he joins the militia and they send him to this. They send him and all that bravado and that motivation and they put him in this podunk mountain outpost where he doesn't do anything at all for a very long time. And I can sympathize with that sentiment very much because that minus the mountains, less mountains and more just dust, more dusty sand is my was my situation. Mm -hmm. Although Orwell was a lot more hardcore than I, he did see a lot, a lot of action eventually. Uh, he even took part in a bayonet charge into enemy trenches. And he describes it uh, very interestingly because none of these guys are trained, right? These are just guys they picked up off the street they gave him guns, some of them didn't even work, and they stuck knives on the end of them. Um, he ends up in enemy trenches, and they're not allowed to fire, right, because they don't want to alert the entire trench line. So he's, they're, they're told to only use the bayonet. And in this account, he talks how about how he sees a, a fascist soldier, or a, I'm not sure if he's a fascist or not, but he's on Franco's side. He might be a phalangist, he might not be. Uh, he might be a royalist. But... He goes to lunge at him with the bayonet like like they taught him to in drills, which is a huge like front step and a thrust, right? And the guy jumps back, and so he misses. But the guy's kind of off balance, so he has to right himself, and that gives Orwell enough time to like recoup. So since Orwell has recouped and the guy has caught his balance, Orwell thrusts again, and the guy jumps back again. And Orwell says this happened about five to six times, and they just kind of hopped down the trench until the guy turned and just ran away. Mm -hmm. And uh, funny little account. Uh, Orwell later got shot in the throat in this in this book, actually, which uh, almost killed him, but did not. And he got away and wrote this book. I highly suggest reading it. It doesn't matter your politics. It's a fascinating account of expats taking political motivation, going abroad, and fighting for what they believe in. It's really, really good. That's all I got for Excellent. that book. Excellent. We did have some comments and some ideas for Spanish Civil War in a previous episode. So there's. I think I mentioned the Spanish Civil War in yeah. both episodes. Yeah, you man. did. Uh, I'm not, there are a couple of rule sets out there. There's one that I saw that, it's not Osprey. Yeah, I think it's one of those mm -hmm. Osprey books. Yeah. Oh, the World of Flame. Yeah, I think it's called. Yeah, I, I've never gotten to play it. Um, the only actual Spanish Civil War game that I've actually gotten to play is like a homebrew thing that a buddy of mine made, and it is wonky as hell. It's <laughs> as all homebrew games tend to be. Um, but it, you know, it's fun to see your little guy with the C and T flag out there, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, moving around and doing stuff. I, and I guess you could use any World War II game set. Yeah, absolutely. You know? uh, Empress Miniatures does a really nice range of Spanish Civil War figures also. What are they called? Empress Miniatures. You didn't mention that last time. I did not mention that last time. I was remiss. I would have one of One of my listeners brought it to my attention. I had forgotten that they did a uh, Spanish Civil War set. Um, oh, look. oh, cool, there it is. Yeah, now I've got some modern figures and their modern figures are damn nice 
I've got some. Oh, look US at that. Sub That's um, Civil Guard right there. Look at that. Yep. That's really neat. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no. I, hey, this episode's just as much yours as it is, as it is mine. So. <laughs> Thank that listener for me. Uh, Absolutely. Whoever that was. Yeah, the, and the Empress figures oh, are really very, neat. very nice. They are nice. Like they I said, are. I've got I've got some of the modern figures. I've got some of their modern U.S. and modern Insurgents, and they are oh. very nice figures. Oh my God! Do they have the Anarchist figures? That'd be cool. Is there? Do they have the Rudy? What's that? I'm sorry, I'm kind of nerding out over this. Um, well, you just have to... International Brigade. I could have Orwell as a model, fighting in Zaragoza, man. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm going to stop looking at that, because then uh, that'll take up all my attention. Dude, I was so into the Spanish Civil War, I used to listen to, like, I used to collect little punk covers of A La Barricadas, which is like the anarchist theme song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of fun. I'm, uh, I'm going to end up buying some of these models. That's cool. You know, the one problem with these guys are, if you field any kind of uh, vehicle with the Republican forces... It ends up looking like this big jumble of just nonsense yeah. cramped together, because all of their vehicles were essentially just iron and steel plated on anything mm -hmm. with a motor, you know. So it ends up really looking kind of ugly. My number two, have you? I, I guess I need to say what it is before I ask you if you've read it. It's called "Bombs Away." A oh, this is another one with a subtitle that I forgot. "Bombs Away." By John Steinbeck. Now we, most of your listeners, will know Steinbeck as the author of a book called "Of Mice of Men" that they had to read in what seventh, eighth grade? Something like that. I'm not sure if they do that over there in uh, the land of whatever ridiculous cookie that was. Hobnobbies. Hobnobbies. Hobnobs. Hobnobbers. <laughs> nah, something. Um, they might not read that book in uh, school over there, but it is ubiquitous in American middle school everyone has to read it and it's a horrible book and everyone hates it and it's a real shame because John Steinbeck is an American treasure his books are phenomenal they they, they brim with emotion and, and sincerity and a glimpse of life and because of that during World War II uh, some people in the army got what's you know got with him and said hey we'd like you to write a book and we would like that book to speak well of American forces and try and get young people and qualified people to join the military in specialized roles. And so John Steinbeck chose Bomber Crews, and he wrote the book Bombs Away, The Story of a Bomber Team. And this book is unabashedly American propaganda for World War II. And it's kind of important that it's read with that understanding. You can't read this as a historical account. You can't read it as anything else but American propaganda to get young men to join bomber teams. Mm -hmm. But reading it in that context, it's really kind of interesting. It's a really cool little snapshot of that time period and our efforts to do to influence the American population in you know, a good way. Get them to join, get them to beat the Nazis. No one can say that's a bad thing, but when you add Steinbeck's kind of flourish to it and his sincere love of the country and his unique fo foibles, you get a really cool book. And I don't know, I, I really like it. It's, it's split up into different sections 
as a bomber's crew would be split up. Mm-hmm. So he'll have a section on the bombardier, bam, and he'll talk about what makes a good bombardier, what that bombardier, what the, what does the bombardier even do? Um, why is it fun to say bombardier? Things like that, you know. And he'll encourage people who I don't know do X, Y, and Z to go try and find a, a position as a bombardier and a gunner and so forth and so on. But he'll also mix it in with those Americanisms like that now are a bit cliche, like uh, squirrel hunting mm-hmm. and things like that, um, benefiting a young man joining said position on a bomber crew. In the end, he follows a bunch of folks through training and through, through not through missions, but through a little bit of their career and summarizes the whole experience. Now, it's somewhat, in the end, a bit naive because a lot of these, while Steinbeck talks it up a lot, with the benefit of hindsight, we really know that a lot of these guys died very violently and um, not very pleasantly. And that actually adds another little macabre dimension to the book Mm -hmm. because you can see him talking it up and urging people to do it and talking about how good it is and it's not that bad and it's kind of safe. But it's kind of a lie, you know? Oh, completely lie. Just just by comparison, (laughs) the... Just by comparison, uh, the Eighth Air Force, who mm-hmm. had the had the job of leveling Germany from the air, yeah, took more casualties during World War II than the entire Marine Corps. Really, really. Well, I mean, the Marines didn't do much anyway during <laughs> World War II. Send uh, what's that? What's that tweet they have to send that hate mail to? They can't spell at, mine, so at, send it to, <laughs> send it to uh. So yeah, uh, yeah, a bomber game. You know, there's a classic Avalon Hill game called B17, which mm-hmm. would be perfect for this. And if you wanted to convert it to miniatures, you could easily do it with the good folks at uh, Pico Armor because they've got a nice range of World War II aircraft. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't play many flying games. I think I've I've played maybe X Wing twice, and that one flying mm-hmm. game at your thing once. That's yeah. it. So I I was uniquely unprepared for that segment of that choice. That's okay. That's gonna lead into my number two. The bear went over the mountain, and its companion book, The Other Side of the Mountain. Okay. These are both books about the Soviet war in Afghanistan. The Bear One Over the Mountain specifically oh, yeah. deals with uh, fighting and operations from the Soviet perspective. It's an operational history, but it's also an oral history because the editor, Lester Grau, uh, who's a dude at Fort Leavenworth, works in the... He was the head of the Soviet Studies Department there, um, mm. went to Russia and interviewed a number of company battalion and brigade officers of the Soviet army and Mm -hmm. had them talk him through different operations that their units undertook during the Soviet Afghan war. And Mm -hmm. the book is just rich with scenario possibilities for, well, for any, and not just Soviet Afghan games, um, any, any type of game, you could get scenarios out of it. Um, now the other side of the mountain is exactly what it sounds like it's the same book but from the perspective of the Mujahideen during that same from, so that one 
Rambo three, in other words. Pretty much, yeah. And okay. um, again, uh, Lester Grau was the editor on that, but many of, or actually all of the interviews for it uh, were conducted by an Afghan journalist named Ali Ahmad Jalali. And okay. re- they're both really fascinating, just really spectacular. Uh, the Marine Corps are the guys that actually uh, had the, the books made. Uh, in the oh. late '90s, uh, as as hmm. a training tool uh, for their for their officers, and you know, kind of a lessons learned thing. And yeah. I'm not sure how effective it was. I I would imagine once <laughs> once we're out of Afghanistan, maybe someone will do a study and try to figure out what <laughs> mistakes we repeated of the Soviets. Yeah. Um, maybe the Marine Corps will commission another book. Yeah, maybe and so. Yeah. More people will read it, and we'll do the same thing anyway. Yeah. That being said, and, yeah. it, and it's neat if if you are a vet who served in Afghanistan like I am, it's neat to go and take a look and see some of the battles fought over the train that you operated in. And uh, it's just if you're gonna do it, uh, if you if Again, this is the type of thing where I probably actually wouldn't game current or yeah. the last 16 years in Afghanistan, but I could see myself yeah. doing Soviets versus versus the Mujahideen, and uh, yeah. I've actually got some models already in 15 mil for it. I just haven't gone over the edge to do it, and of course I'd use Force on Force from uh, Ambush Alley Games, uh, Sean. Carpenter and I have gone back and forth a number of times uh, about his rules. In fact, I'm I'm on the Ambush Alley Games playtest group, and I'm going to have Sean on the on the show in the near future as well. But uh, as far as figures, I mean, there's tons of 15, 20, 28s for both the Soviets and the Mujahideen. Plastic Soldier Company okay. has a new set of plastics that would be perfect for just your general. Uh, motorized mm-hmm. rifle infantry uh, for the early to mid '80s, so they're they're good to go. Hmm. Yeah, Battlefront. They've got the the Team Yankee stuff, so you got plenty of uh, Soviets you can use. Um, and your Mujahideen. There's a number of different companies doing, like I said, 15, 20, 28. So they're out there. Which brings us yeah. to number one. Brr, uh, my Foley drum roll is not good. It's okay. I'm sorry. My number one. Number one. My number one. Okay. My number one is Pegasus Bridge by Stephen Ambrose. Uh, a really, really tightly written. It's a very concise book. It tells in detail, though, the preparation and execution of the mission to take the bridge over the Orne River. Just a really good narrative. Um, just a stunning story. There actually, there is a Pegasus Bridge movie being made right now. Uh, it's a significant portion of the book and movie, The Longest Day, and it really mm. does deserve its own look. Uh, because what these guys did, you've got some glider-borne British troops land, take a bridge, and then hold it against. Uh, German counterattack, and we're talking they had, you know, armored vehicles coming up on them and it's just a really yeah. great story 
unequaled unequaled heroism dash elon all those other adjectives that you want to apply to to soldiers now as far as gaming it's concerned i've had the idea and i actually collected figures for it but like an idiot i sold them on to do the same scenario but set in a science fiction setting and so so for okay. rules we're talking probably Star Grunt or Tomorrow's War uh, Star Grunt from Ground Zero Games uh, Tomorrow's War again from Ambush Alley Games and then for the troops I'm talking the second edition 40k Metal Katie and Shock Troop figures which were sculpted by the Perrys for the Germans and uh-huh. for your Brits I'm talking the Orc Commandos the Orc Commandos that came out with Second Edition with their with their knit watch caps and mm-hmm. bolt pistols and axes because those those figures just have a lot of character to them. Um, they didn't do enough sculpts, unfortunately. They I think they're like five or six sculpts for that range, yeah. but worth getting. I think it'd be a great game. It'd be a lot of fun. And then you have the follow-on yeah. counterattack from the from the Germans. Uh, you know, using your, mm-hmm. you know, your Camaras and and those sorts of vehicles. I, I think it'd be a lot of fun, and it take the it take that yeah. that's classic scenario and kind of, I don't want to say turn it on turn it on its head, but kind of give it a little bit of a twist, and kind of and kind of demonstrate yeah. how you can take a, a historical scenario and turn it into something else with, you know, with just a little bit of, with just a, orcs. And laser beams just a little bit of work. Yep. Yeah. Throw some zombies in there, man. Well, that's a different. That's oh, a different kind of stuff. And now, I, now I feel like now I feel like you're mocking yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, man. Uh, I'm all about cramming stuff together unabashedly, man. Uh, a couple wizards. Why not? Some hey. hobbits. All right. <laughs> No man, I know. I, I'm totally all about it. Moving right along. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, that brings us to your number one. My number one um, was a book I read recently. That might be why it's sticking out in my mind brain as a my number one. But it's a very good book. It's a dense history book, but written with the panache of a nice little novel, I guess. I, eh. um, Victorious Little Wars by Byron Farwell. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um, apparently this is a standard. I was unaware of it, but uh, to be quite frank, I relatively recently got into the his, quote-unquote historic wargaming community, which all of them have read this book. Um, it's an account of the expansion of the British Empire overseas underneath Queen Victoria, which is where the vast majority of that expansion came from. Um, it's outright fascinating how it happened, which was kind of... Just by bureaucratic ineptitude mixed with, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just, what's the word I'm looking for when a subordinate just takes it upon themselves to do something and get it done? Initiative? So, so, initiative, yeah. Some bureaucratic ineptitude mixed with bureaucratic initiative where, let's say, um, uh, a company uh, regent or governor in India 
had a small slight by a neighboring governor of uh, not, not a neighboring governor but a native Raj um, he would just go take that over without without permission or anything like that and just kind of subsume it into the larger empire piece by piece by piece and enough people doing this all over the world you end up eating up a bunch of little kingdoms and establishing a global superpower pretty fascinating it also has a really amazing part about the northwest frontier which i was very ignorant about until i read that book which is, ties back into your book about the russians trying to take over afghanistan mm -hmm. right apparently the english tried to do that first that oh, didn't yeah. succeed then either nope it doesn't seem to work out very well. I guess Alexander pulled it off, right? Kinda. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Uh -huh. Well, his stuff's still standing, though, so... Yeah. But, um, no, it was, it was fascinating. And it, it gave a, a pretty in-depth look at the people that were, where the English were interacting, uh, be it at the, the tribes in South Africa or the, uh, the Muslim and Hindu populations in India or in Afghanistan or in China. It, it was... It's a really good book. Uh, it had a big section about Khartoum. I think mm -hmm. it's Khartoum, right? Yeah, and, and Sudan and the Mahdi's. I don't know. And yeah, it was it was really really fascinating. It was an area of history I didn't know a ton about, and I was very happy to learn about it. Hmm. Oh, I had, had the Zulu Wars. I'm. And these are all things that permeate modern culture, whether you know it or not. You know that stark red jacket and that that funny little hat. What do they call that? Like the oh, safari hat. Sun helmet. Is that what that is? Yeah. The sun helmet? Sun helmet. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's those guys. You're reading that history. It's it's And it's written in a way that, you know, that French Foreign Legion book wasn't. It's very, very easily digestible. It's not craden, um, it's not laden down with um, caliber sizes and uh, gunpowder grain. You know what I mean? Right. It's... it's enough information to keep you there and enough, and a little more to give you I don't know a, a richer appreciation of what um you know what shaped yeah. the world man this was a really good book I highly highly suggest it kind of old yeah but good yeah, yeah. Good. old so you run into some interesting maybe positions in it that might predate modern cultural sure, considerations sure. if that makes sense um, but any book about British colonialism written before 1950, you're going to run into that, you know. But it's yeah. good, absolutely, absolutely very good. And with that stuff, you know, I've talked about colonial gaming quite a few times. Um, with the British guys specifically, you you, you would know more about that. So I'm just going to kind of lean on you for that, bud. Oh well, I mean, there's you know the classic is uh, the sword and the flame. I mean that's that. Those yeah. are the classic colonial gaming rules. Uh, there, there are any number of uh, mm. colonial rules out there. Uh, there are a number of different folks doing uh, twenty-eight mil uh, British. Uh, the Perrys have a line. I know Warlord has a line. Uh, so it's. I mean, the world's your oyster if you're a colonial gamer right now. That's for sure. That brings us to our honorable mentions. We'll bang through these real quick. And yep. you kind of looking at the show notes, you're kind of up in the air about them. Yeah, I, because I used all my good ones in the in the in the the actual selections, right? So I, I, I wanted to shy away from stuff like I don't know Richard the Third or something like that. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. not well. I guess that 
Is that nonfiction? It's a play. Well, it's I definitely shy away from. It's definitely propaganda. It's, a, it's definitely propaganda. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, Charge of the Light Brigade. Like th those things pass through my mind. Like, well, yeah, that kind of makes me want to look at Crimea, things like that. So I, I pulled them back. I did not realize that you again had reference material in your selection, um, <laughs> or I would have maybe thrown some of that out there. So, but I, you know, because I didn't realize I kind of stuffed it all here. I'm going to take out Mal's little red book. That joke probably is not going to go over super great. And I'm going to jump right to Livy's History of Rome. Mm -hmm. Classic nonfiction. Well, is that nonfiction? Yeah. I, probably. Absolutely. Um, I mean, what's up? Absolutely. It's just like, uh, you know, Caesar's uh, on the Gallic Wars. I mean, it's it's definitely, well, again, it's that... definitely propaganda, but it's, it's history. <laughs> it's nonfiction. Yeah, sure. I, it's embellished, it's, but it's it's a it's definitely a story presented that's purported to tell the facts, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah, okay, that's not his. I'll buy that's it. Nonfiction. It's a hard book to read. I'm to be quite honest. I read it when I was very young, and the purpose of me reading it was to say I have read it. I have since grown out of those kind of like urges, but um, in the process of doing that, I picked up, I believe, a richer understanding of Roman history yeah. and. And trust me, man, they're very proud of their martial history. Oh, absolutely. And re reading the history of Rome and the conquest. And I, I thought about the Gallic Wars mm -hmm. um, as well. That, that that stuff will make you want to put down some little dudes with big shields, you know, and just march forth and kill the Gauls and you, you take Burst and get a tricks and make him kiss the eagle and then choke him to death after your triumph. It's all about that, that raw with those guys yeah you can I appreciate you it. can definitely tell the classics nerds in the room because they refer to uh, they refer to uh, Caesar's Julius Caesar's the the Gallic Wars as DBG mm -hmm. De Bello Gallico <laughs> so yeah speaking as a classics nerd <laughs> yeah Are you talking about my next one yes Oh, Robert Graves' translation of Salun how do you pronounce that guy? Salunicus? Who? Suetonius? Yeah, that's him. The Twelve Caesars. Um I didn't know I knew Robert Graves through I Claudius, you know. Yeah. And and Claudius the God. That led me to Claudius the God, which led me to Count Balisarius, and I had no idea that this guy was apparently a classic scholar. Mm -hmm. And the information which gave us I Claudius came from a book he translated called The Twelve Caesars. Now, admittedly, I have not read the book, but I'm running out of options here, man, because I don't have a lot of these. So, let me just go ahead and throw that one out there. Hopefully, I knew you were a classics major, so I'll kind of try and let you talk about it. Other than that, I have another good one. This one, this one I just picked because it's off the wall, right? Hit me. What do you got? And again, if you... If you got a an army field manual, I get to pick this. I have a collection. This book is untitled because it's published by some South Mexican publishing company, but it's a collection of essays by a guy named Subcomandante okay. Marcos from a revolutionary group called the EZLN. Okay. If you Google Subcomandante Marcos, a very dapper guy with a ski mask and a pipe okay. is going to pop up okay. riding a donkey. He's pretty, he's pretty baller, man. Um, he's a revolutionary in southern Mexico, Zapatista, fighting a good fight down there. Um, but, you know, they lost. But he has a collection of essays where he talks about life 
amongst the people and what has turned into a a decades long struggle that he is fighting for and um uh, i don't know it's it's fun to leap through and see a completely different perspective especially on war um my perspective on a war like that is necessarily probably the opposite of that guy's you know he's a gorilla and anytime he encounters any kind of combat or anything like that it's always on you know what would equate to the insurgent right. side you know what i mean so it's it's very um i don't want to say humbling because it's not humbling but it's i don't know, i feel it's enlightening to see that perspective you know what i mean I don't know. I like it. Uh, I don't know how on earth one would game Southern Mexican Zap Zapatista revolutionaries in a minor context, yeah. but I'm sure it's possible. The, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I'll have to... I'll tell you what. You find me models for that, and I'll be impressed, <laughs> Jay. You're pretty good with them. I'll admit that. You're a hundred times better than me, Adam, but if you can find me models for that game and a rule set for that, I got yeah, you. On, I got you. On topic, but. I got you right now. Okay. Okay. You do. What, what uh, is it? Peter Pig, fifteen mil. They've got yeah, Peter Pig. Peter Pig. Uh, they've got. Uh, uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the same thing. PeterPig.co.uk, and they have. Uh -huh. Are you on the page? Okay. Let's find. Yeah. Let's find. Da, 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 da. Look under modern Africa. And their range okay. is called AK-47, and that is that is the I'll be that's the name damn, of the that. rule set also AK-47, and it's an interesting rule set. Yeah. It's not real crunchy as far as as far as the rules are concerned, but it does have yeah. some interesting pre and post game phases, and media yeah. manipulation is part of it also. I'll be damn. Look, yeah, that's a that's a that's a deep cut. Yeah. That's a long pool, you, man. You, they even uh, have your French Fort Legion, your modern FFL. Uh, yeah. Do they really? Yeah, you got to scroll down to find them. They're there. Yeah, your militia types are you know they're designed that's to be Africans, cool. but at that at that level, I mean, you're at that size, they can, you know, they can yeah. be just about anybody. Yeah, whatever it is. There you go. Yeah. Bam! Oh. Well, you pulled it on. Yeah, I'll admit when uh, I have been bested. Well, it's not a. It's. I have been bested. It's not a. It's not a. You got a little pickup you know, truck. It's not a. It's not a contest. <laughs> yeah, man. I know. Uh, there you go. Huh. Now, depending on how modern you want to go, also, uh, my sponsor, Special Arts and Service Miniatures, has a range that is. Mm -hmm directly inspired by a certain movie depicting uh, U.S. operatives going up against the cartels, the Mexican drug cartels, called Sicario. Uh -huh. So oh, that would be good. That's out there also, but probably not quite what you're looking for for this. But they got cartel figures. So uh, anyway, that'd probably be good. Yeah, it 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 can be done. Hmm. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. So my honorable mentions. Apparently. Uh, but the, uh, one of the first yeah. books that ever caught my eye, and I can probably directly relate 
this book to me becoming a classics major and getting interested in military history just in general is called Greece and Rome at War by Peter Connolly and it's just lavishly illustrated um I haven't even seen this book in person in probably 30 years at this point but I remember as a young kid seeing it at the library at my elementary school and checking it out and then I checked it out again I checked it out again mm-hmm. and then when I went to middle school I checked it out from that library and when I went to high school I checked it out from that library and it's <laughs> out there and I actually one of my one of my professors at Southern Illinois University had this book and I offered to buy it from him and he wasn't having any of it. So I uh yeah, he he knew not to bring it around me cuz I think he knew that he he wouldn't have it anymore if I saw it. Mm. So but yeah, Greek yeah. Yes. No, I'm, I was gonna say I'm looking up pictures of this, and I could see how this would capture the attention of like a yeah, it's uh, just a great book, a middle school boy, um, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, I I need to just go ahead oh, and yeah. buy it. Um, That's cool. And you know, just be done with it, and mm-hmm. you know, just so so I can just have it. So now my next yeah, totally. is an oral history that I mentioned that I alluded to earlier. It's called the black devil brigade by Joseph Springer. And yep. it's an oral right. history in that Joe Springer, uh, his uncle, his uncle was in the black devil brigade. And that's, if you don't know what that is, it was the first special service force in world war two. It was a combined U S and Canadian unit that was or is originally founded to attack strategic targets in Norway. I think I've heard of this. They ended up not going to Norway. They ended up fighting in Italy primarily. And they are a precursor mm. to the US Army Special Forces, at least as far as their direct action mission is concerned. His mm. Joe's uncle uh fought in the in the first or first special service force and was killed at Anzio. And so fast forward to the 90s and Joe had been had been getting in touch with these guys to learn more about his uncle and started recording his conversations with these guys. Mm. And it and it turned into uh, the book, The Black Devil Brigade. Uh, Now, I mentioned this. It's a great book. But I also mentioned because Joe Springer lives here in Pleasant Hill, Illinois, like I do, and we're members of the same American Legion post, and mm-hmm. he's, he's one of my customers also. I see him about once a month for a haircut. And it is a good book. Uh, yeah. It's out there, available. It's out of print currently, but the ebook he self-published, and he actually added, I think he said, oh. I think he, he added like 100 pages to the ebook. So if you've already read it, it might be worth picking up the ebook because he does have additional content in it. And uh, you know your your close in stuff, your close in work uh, that these guys did uh, was just harrowing. And some of the stories that these guys have about getting getting up close and personal with the Germans is is pretty gritty stuff. 
but really a great book to yeah. to really delve into the mindset of the individual soldier and it, and it goes from their formation and training in Montana through to their deployment to Italy and basically they got blood white is what happened they you know the old adage if you take more than your fair share of mm-hmm. objectives you'll be given more than your fair share of objectives to take and that's what happened with them so my my final honorable mention is Patty Whacked the untold story of the Irish American mob uh, by TJ English and it's exactly what it sounds like it starts in the 18 1840s when the first big waves of Irish immigrants started coming to the United States and the formation of uh, basically Irish street gangs in the Five Points District of New York and then they spread to the other cities and mm. the uniquity of the Irish mob in comparison to the Italian and Jewish mobs that formed it's really fascinating um, dovetails nicely with Mad Dogs with Guns uh, currently available from Osprey written by Howard Whitehouse who's been on the show before and is going to be on the show uh, actually in our next episode we're, I'm going to talk to Howard about Mad Dogs with Guns and he used cool. Paddy Whack oh we're going to play that good yeah we have a copy of that Excellent. my group does I'm sorry I didn't mean to no, cut you off by all like means. that I just saw I, I just saw the cover. Yeah, tell your tell your guy Absolutely. we're gonna play his game. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have Howard on in the very near future to talk about Mad Dogs with Guns, and uh, just going back and forth uh, with Howard. Uh, I told him, well, he had posted. He's been posting some of the uh, fluff pieces out of Mad Dogs with Guns on Facebook, and I shouldn't say yeah. fluff pieces. I mean, they the actually happened. One of the pieces he recently put on Facebook was in uh, Patty Whacked and I mentioned that to him and he said yeah that's probably where I got it from because it's one of my main sources for Mad Dogs with Guns so obviously mm. there's there's plenty of folks making 28 mil gangsters for your 30s and you know for the your 1920s and 30s stuff yeah. Uh, so yeah Patty Whacked good book really enjoyable okay. really goes into dirty dirty levels of detail on some of these characters and well worth well worth picking up. So on that cool. note, that brings us to our to the end of another top phase with Dave. It does, man. Oh, that was a long one. That's all right. It's worth it. It's good listening. Well, I mean we we burned twenty minutes talking about cook the cookie controversy, so No, but that was totally worth it, man. Oh, completely worth it. Are you kidding? Mm. It's oh. <laughs> I'm not gonna. It's, call, it's it's it's. We we just to just to reiterate, anything that can be dunked should be dunked. Especially basketballs. Well, yeah. I was a little bit late for that, but I That's think it's right. a good one. I can't remember. On that note, this is yep. this is the veteran gourmand. I mean, <laughs> the veteran war gamer, uh, Dave. And the former soldier and, fight player. Yes, and former soldier fight player. Dave, thanks again for coming on. I always enjoy our our chats, and oh man, my pleasure, dude. Absolutely. Thank yeah, you for having me. Yeah, and we'll need me. to gin up another. We'll have to gin up another controversy next time you come on. Sure. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll I'd love to start intercontinental interpodcast beef with a bunch of English dudes I've never met. Yeah. So 
Whatever else you can well, drum I, up, man. Absolutely. All of them are older than us, so we got that going for us. Ah. Those guys in the Meeple's and Mistress podcast, we, so. We got the sprightliness yeah. on And, and I'm not. I don't know if any of them have. I don't know if any of them have any combat training under their belts. Boom. So. Mic drop. If it comes to fisticuffs, I think we might be able to take them. But there are. There's four we of them, there's only able. two of us. And I stopped running the day I got out of the army. So, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Um, that was a while back. My stamina is not quite up to snuff. I wasn't a good runner to yeah. begin with, but, I, dude, I can barely walk down a flight of steps. Whew. The thought about wrestling with two 60-year-old men is getting me whew, a lot of breath. Okay. No, but, yeah, I'll, right. we'll take them. Show them some of the old what for them, some of that old That's Yankee right. spirit. Even though neither of us are Yankees. Battle of New Orleans all over yeah, again. What's up? Yeah, don't. We're not Yankees though. I mean, we're. I'm originally from Texas. You're from Louisiana. I mean, that's. That's as far not from true. Yankees you're gonna get. No. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Um. Well, we'll figure that's out right. the proper. That's right. Designation. That's right. Trash talking. Right. So. But I will start. Tweeting, um, tweeting things after <laughs> with my new sweet Twitter hash, Twitter handle, which um, you should all go like me at. Besides uh, Marines who want to say mean things to me, um, just yeah, you can't find it anyway because it's not working. Well, so. I'll okay, I'll put it in the show notes. The show notes so. <laughs> with anyway, I'll stop. I'll start right. keeping you here, Let's, man. I'll fix it in post. <laughs> okay. With that in mind, as always, if the wargaming you're having isn't any fun, you make it fun. That is all. The Veteran Wargamer is copyright J. Arnold 2017. Be sure to leave a review on iTunes. Discussion on the blog at theveteranwargamer.blogspot.com. Music courtesy of bensound.com.